Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month. Our mentor this month is Jim Hewling. Jim Hewling is the co-author of the number one national best-selling book, The Four Disciplines of Execution. He is also Franklin Covey's global managing consultant. He is responsible for the Four Disciplines methodology and the quality of its delivery worldwide. His career spans 37 years of corporate leadership, ranging from Fortune 500 organizations to privately held companies and includes more than a decade as CEO of an award-winning company recognized four times as one of the 25 best companies to work for in America. Jim Hewling presented the Four Disciplines of Execution System at the Crown Council's 19th Annual Event. It's a marvelous roadmap that should be included in any culture of success. Listen now as we join his presentation at the 19th Annual Event shortly after his introduction to the stage. This very question is what got Franklin Covey so interested in, in execution, in the whole subject of execution. And when we initially studied it, we wanted to answer that one question. What in the world happens to great leaders and, and enthusiastic teams who reach for the summit and never make it? What happens to them? And to get us started, we surveyed ourselves 200,000 leaders and their teams. When we got all that data back in partnership with the Harris Polling Group, we began to study it, and we found out there were 19 breakdowns in execution. There were 19 reasons teams failed to hit their goals. And I'm so glad we evolved over the years, or you would have been invited today to the 19 disciplines of execution, and you wouldn't have come. <laughs> You'd have gone to the bar downstairs instead. <laughs> but you know what happened to us as we went through several years of analysis and research? We began to realize that most of those were just symptoms. Most of them were not the root causes. They were just symptoms. And finally, one day, about six years ago, we realized there was only one root cause. In other words, there was one reason, one overarching problem that every single team and every leader of the 80% in the Inc. Magazine survey that didn't make it, this was most likely the root cause for failure to reach their goals. Are you just a little bit interested? Yes, one? You got it down to one thing? Tell me the one thing, Jim. I'm going to tell you, but I want you to prepare to be underwhelmed. You know what the single biggest reason in every business and every organization that execution breaks down? Ladies and gentlemen, it's your day job. We call it the whirlwind. And it's the 350 things you've got to get done before you can say this week is over. And no matter what you want to do in 2014, those goals are going to have a head-on collision with the simple fact that everybody in your office is busy. Is this a realistic idea? And if you don't feel it is, I can prove it to you right now. I've been speaking for exactly 27 minutes. Two-thirds of you are jonesing for your smartphone right now. You'd give anything to check, right? right? And, and I can see with my x-ray eyes that there's a whole cast of you that are listening to me. You're making eye contact with me, but over here, your brain is spinning. Isn't that right? Well, it's almost the end of the day. If he finishes early, I can probably call the office. I think I need to send a text message. I hope they got that thing out. And man, there was those repairs that had to be done to that piece of equipment, the rescheduling for next Monday morning. I'm going to be out of town. All of all this getting done, I need to call somebody. I need to make a phone call. Jim, will you please hurry up and finish this message? Isn't that fair? And about 10% of you are so sophisticated, somehow you can make eye contact with me, but behind the back of the person sitting in front of you, you're doing this. So we call this the dental prayer, where you, you just raise up every now and then and say, isn't he great? Yeah. Yes, yes, he's so good. Oh, yeah, oh, what a good point. Oh, Jim, way to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea what he just said. That was wonderful. Isn't he good? Yeah, yeah. So if you're doing any of that... You're feeling it. You're feeling it. It's your whirlwind. And this whirlwind of your day job, true or false, will take every ounce of energy you have, every minute of every hour, and all of your focus if you let it. True? It'll take everything you've got. I can prove it to you because you've had this experience. Have you ever been driving home at the end of your week? When does the week end in a dental office? Is it like midnight, Friday night or something? You have... I don't know. But let's say it was late on Friday. You're driving home. 
experience this with me just for a moment. You're driving home and you are totally exhausted. Have you ever had that experience? Yes. So in the, in the week that has just passed, you've seen every patient. You've provided incredible service. You've, you've dealt with every scheduling issue. You had two personnel problems and a piece of equipment that broke down. And somehow you handled it all. And you're driving home totally spent. And you have this revelation. Ah, we didn't make any progress toward our goals. That's what we call an all whirlwind week. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Now, how can that happen? You've got your goals. You know what you want to achieve. You know what's important to you. Well, here's how it can happen. And it's the same reason you would just love to check your phone right now. Because everything in the whirlwind seems urgent. But the goals are simply important. And when urgent and important collide, who do you think wins? Yes, urgent. In business and in life, when my daughter Sarah, who's 28, just got married, when your youngest gets married, this is big, right? This is like I felt, like when my son came in and said, hey, Dad, I'm, I'm gonna, uh, Jennifer and I are going to get married. I'm going to propose to her tomorrow. You know, guy to guy, I just said, hey, way to go, buddy. Fist bump, you know. Good for you, man. Good for you. My daughter comes in and says, Randy asked me to marry him, and I, the geoplates of the earth shift. I, I, what is that? I don't know what the difference was. But, but when my daughter Sarah was about 11, she had a hamster. Uh, that joyously, every, mo- every morning, joyously, this hamster would do what? Right? So I would come in Sarah's room and say, honey, it's time to get up for school. You know, is there anything I can do to help you? We've got to leave in about 15 minutes. Let's get ready to go. You know? But as I was waiting there with my cup of coffee, I would look at this hamster who was doing nothing but running and running. Do you know what I'm talking about? And running. What was I thinking? That's me. That's my life right there. (laughs) And that's what happens to just about every leader of every organization of any size in any industry. We get trapped in the whirlwind. We do a lot of great things, but we don't make progress to the next level. We get consumed by our day-to-day. And I can feel from you, you get this idea. So we come to this message today for only one reason. How do I execute in spite of the whirlwind? There's not a person in this audience who can't set a goal and achieve it, right? If you only had one thing to do, couldn't you do it? I'm looking at people who have carved success out of the most trying times some of of us have ever experienced in this country. But I want to tell you, the ability to set a goal and achieve it is common. What's rare is the ability to achieve a goal when the wind is circling at 95 or 200 miles per hour. That's rare. And that's what the four disciplines are designed to do. So today, I want to share them with you in a very simple way. And I want to also say that I am, I'm completely indebted uh, to the Crown Council for some special illustrations. I'll show them to you in just a minute. Before we do that, let me give you a preview of what's going to happen when you go home. Everywhere we work in the world, there are today 100,000 teams using the four disciplines. These three groups always exist in every team. Tell me if they exist in yours. You have a small group of people who are the best you have. True or false? This is where you would answer back, like when I ask you a question that, I don't know, I know this is hard, but it was, you know, just give it another try. So is there a small group of people on all of your teams that are the best you have? Yeah, right? You'd call them the models. Their attitudes are great. Their skills are great. They work hard. Whatever you want to do differently this year, boss, we're in. Let's do it, right? There is also a group of people on every team that we call the resistors. Do you know these people? Yes. Do you know them just as well as you know the top performers? Yeah. You know them because these are the very people that in your office are holding a meeting right now, getting ready. Because they're saying, you know what happened the last time she went to that conference, you know, we had to do all this stuff. She came home, we had all this stuff. So the resistors are people who have decided before you even go home that whatever you're coming home with is not a good idea. (laughs) Which of the two groups do you think you hear from first? That's right. Oh, well, you know, I'm glad you went to that conference and I'm glad you came home with some more ideas. but, But how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to make it happen? When you hear that language, that's whirlwind language, right? Now, in every team, there are models and there are resistors, and the largest group is always the group in the middle. 
The group in the middle, we call the potentials. And in every team we've ever studied, there were more people in the middle than there were on either end. I don't know what's true for your office, but I suspect this might be an applicable model. So when we implement the four disciplines of execution, it has little or no effect on the models. Why would that be? That's right. They're already doing it. They're already doing everything we could ask them to do. It has little or no effect on the resistors. Why would that be? Because they've already made their decisions, right? They've already made their decisions about what they're going to do. But what the four disciplines seems to do is to take about two-thirds of that middle group and move them to the top. And when that happens, we can fulfill the promise we said not so long ago. We can produce extraordinary results despite all the things we can't control by inspiring and enabling about two-thirds of our middle performers to rise up to the level that today only a few people have. Do you buy that idea? If you could make that happen, if you could triple the size of your best performer group, could you do almost anything you wanted to do in 2014? Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's look at how we do it. Now, I am indebted today for some examples from Dr. Guy Cross. There we go. There you all are, right? Yeah, so, so th- I want to thank this whole team in advance. Thank you, sir, for giving me some examples. Uh, this team at New Horizons Dental Care, did I say that right? Yeah, I have a commercial. I had it tattooed. Well, I can't show you. The, um, um, uh, but they've done some incredible things with the four disciplines. So he's given me some examples that I can show you today are actual implementations of the four disciplines themselves. So I'm not only going to teach you the disciplines, I'll be able to show you some real examples. I did steal this picture off the cover of GQ. Have you... Did you, you see, that was the November issue, right? Yeah, yeah I think it was GQ. Yeah, yeah. And, and I want to tell you that, uh, that in the New Horizons uh, dental care office, you know, this is, a, this is a beautiful group of people, right? Is this beautiful? I like it. What a great looking bunch of folks. Now, Guy, I want to congratulate you on achieving a remarkable level of gender balance in your, uh, your office. It's just fantastic, man. I don't know how you did that. And this, this guy on the left, he doesn't actually work for the office. They just, he's a patient, and they just said, stand in the picture so it'll, it'll look better, right? And, and the people in this office, this is a very loving group of people. They, they're very, oh, isn't that sweet? They're very close, you know, and, and they're very professional. They're actually, you'd call them sophisticated, highly evolved dental professionals, uh, often illustrated by their uh, choice in attire. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I just love that. I, I don't know what the meaning of the little tooth on the lanyard is, but it's got to be a special award uh, for something. So, so what a beautiful thing to be able to see. Uh, but I, I want to finish this commercial real quick, but I do want to compliment a Guy on, and the whole team. That, you know, there's some things you may not know about them. Uh, uh, guy is really a pioneer. If you're not keeping up with what he's doing, he is pioneering some remarkable dental strategies. First of all, the ability to recycle uh, old crowns into dishware. That's right. And, and in the fall of 2014, you'll find these in Macy's everywhere around the country. If you think that's a good idea. Um, guy, also, I, the thing that attracted me the most, really, I'd like to come and have, get, get you to be my dentist because he is pioneering a new approach to painless dentistry. Um, and, and I do want to tell you, this guy's feeling no pain at all, right? He, that is a happy man right there. He doesn't know what you just did to him, but he's coming back the next time. Yeah, and so uh, what, a, what a remarkable thing to do. And, and then, of course, the, the advances into canine dentistry. Uh, I lifted all these pictures from his Facebook page. So, ladies and gentlemen, I didn't post them out there, right? But canine dentistry, who knew, guy? Who knew, right? But here's the final thing. As a businessman, 37 years I've been in corporate leadership, uh, I have never seen anybody with such a creative use of their employees' physical physicality for advertising. I don't know if you've seen this guy. Look at what guy is doing with his uh, with his uh, team there. Is that good? Yeah. That is that's a tooth, right? With toothbrush. Yeah, anyway, I don't get that. So, uh, but these are the things that go on at New. So I've got some examples that are all drawn from this team, and I, and I hope you'll enjoy them as we look at them. All right, so let's get started. The disciplines themselves are easy to teach you. They become the key to everything we want to achieve in 2014. And here's the first one. I know, you're underwhelmed. Focus. Focus on what's important. Jim, come on. In my office, we focus on what's important every single day. In fact, we focus on what's important every hour of every day. 
And if that's what you're thinking in your mind, I get it. I get it. And I want to say to you, with great love and respect, it's possible, in fact, it's likely, there's not a single person in this room that has ever implemented Discipline 1. Because in order to implement Discipline 1, you would have to be willing to say, this one goal matters more than all the other goals. Do we ever do this? No. In fact, if I can share this story with you, ladies and gentlemen, September 7th, 1975, was my first day at a grown-up job. I went to work for Vulcan Materials Company in Birmingham, Alabama. So, yes, I know you're all doing the math now on your calculators. But September 7th, 1975, was my first day as a grown-up in my first corporate job. And, And I'll never forget that day, sitting with my new boss, and my new boss leans across the desk, and he says, I want to tell you what the secret to success, he did his face like this all the time, secret to success is on this team. A little spit came out of his mouth, you know. And and I'm 22 years old. I mean, I'm really listening. The secret to success on this team, Jim, is that everything is priority one. Everything. You did it. Everything is priority one. Just like that. Man, I just wrote it down, you know. Everything is priority one. But at 22 years old, I want to tell you, I thought this was the greatest philosophy I'd ever heard in my life until I tried to do it. And then I learned a real lesson. I bet you know it too. If everything is priority one, what's really priority one? Nothing. And is that true in business and in life? If everything is priority one, the truth is, nothing is. So in the four disciplines in our work around the world, we talk about this most important goal as being something over and above the day-to-day operation, right? We're not talking about reducing your whole world to one goal. We're simply talking about saying one goal is more important than all the rest. That's the key to discipline one. Now, here's a little data for those of you that are more analytical in nature. All of the companies that we've worked with around the world, those that were willing to narrow their focus even to two or three goals, ended up hitting at least two out of the three. Does that make sense? They may have had three goals and hit two, or they may have had two and hit both or three. But they hit pretty much everything they set out to do. What do you think happened to the teams with four to ten most important goals? How many did they achieve? Optimism again in Dallas, Texas, ladies and gentlemen. Look at this number. Now, as a leader, speaking to people who lead a business or who lead by example, there is no more arresting point that I have to offer you than that cell of that slide. You see what just happened to the team? The team went backwards because we tried to get them to focus on more. Does that make sense? We had the illusion that we could just keep asking and asking and asking and asking, and the team would keep responding and responding. But in human activities, just like in physics, the law of diminishing returns applies. So you'll know this answer. What do you think happens to the teams that have 11 to 20 goals? exactly right, right? Zero. Now, do the people in the 11 to 20 group work hard? Yeah, they give everything they've got. They run for these goals. They, they multitask. They try to do everything. They skip lunch. They work late. They give everything they've got. And at the end of the year, in the annual meeting, they hear the startling results. Thanks for all your work. We missed all of our goals. Right? Would that be like the worst moment you can imagine? Except for one more. When you then say to your team, and here's the goals for next year, right? That's our worst moment. Now, now why does that happen? Why does every leader look at that slide and say, I get it. I get it. It's possible to overgoal my team. I understand it. And yet when you leave this room, you're still pulled to the right-hand side, right? What is it about us as leaders that makes us want to give the team more and more? Well, I'll tell you the biggest thing that I suffered from was the tyranny of a new idea. The tyranny of a new idea. In fact, I thought my best way of helping my team was to constantly give them new ideas, right? I thought that's what leaders do. So I was always searching for the latest and the greatest thinking, the the best techniques. And one day in 2002, the three senior vice presidents who reported to me took me to lunch. And they said, hey, Jim, 
Would you like to know what we all, and by all, they meant all 3,000 of us, would you like to know what we all like least about you? I know, this is a question that will stop your day, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, I was in the middle of eating a sandwich, and I literally remember going, and in my head, I wanted to say no. I don't want to know what everybody likes least about me, but fortunately, I said yes. Yeah, tell me, what is it everybody, 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 Jim, likes least about you? He said, what we like least about you is when you come into the office on Monday morning and you've got that special glow and there's a new book under your arm and you gather all of us together and you say, guys, I have found the answer. I've got it. Now, now that I'm the author of a best-selling book, I don't like this story very much. But, but whatever it is, you've got a new idea. You say, I had an idea in the shower, right? Well, what my three senior vice presidents, who were also very close and dear friends and still are to this day, what they were trying to tell me was not this the new idea, but it was that I never took away any old ideas. And I'm betting you don't either. Right? Every time you ask the people in your office to do something new, do you put your brain on two old things that they can now stop? We don't. We stack. Right? That's what leaders do. And we think once we give them the great idea, our work is finished. I'll go, I'll go work on some teeth now. Get busy. Do all of that. Right? That's the problem that happens with execution. So what we're going to do in Discipline 1 is we're going to all remember this idea. There will always be more good ideas then you have the ability to execute. Feel free to snap a photo of this, have it framed and hung in your office. And if you're not with me, if there's one or two people in this audience thinking, wait a minute, that's what I do best, good ideas. We need to implement good ideas. I want to bring one person to the witness stand. Does everybody know the name Tim Cook? Tim Cook is today the CEO of Apple. But for 14 years, he's been the COO of the Apple Corporation. Only since the passing of Steve Jobs did he take the CEO role. And at a shareholders meeting a few years ago, Tim Cook said, we are the most focused company that I know of or have read of or have any knowledge of. Is that an Apple kind of thing to say? Yeah, there's no ego in that at all, is there? Yeah, yeah. But then he goes on to say something radical. He says, we say no to good ideas every day. What? Did I just hear that right? Apple says no to good ideas every day? Then he makes it worse. He says, we say no to great ideas. Wait a minute, stop the press. Apple says no to great ideas? Why would they do that? So that we can put enormous energy behind the things we do choose. That makes sense? So I love his illustration. The table you're sitting at, the chair you're sitting on today, you could put every product Apple makes. Is that right? To this day, they only make one phone. <laughs> and yet their revenue in that year was $40 billion. Anybody happen to know the 2013 final revenue number for the Apple Corporation? $263 billion. You can't live on that, but it's a great start. Right? <laughs> And the CEO of the corporation says, we say no to great ideas every day. Because if we don't say no, we can never focus. So as you leave this conference today, the first big idea I ask you to leave with is the power of focus. Because focus is the doorway. And on the other side of that doorway is extraordinary performance. But only you have the key to that door. Right? We all work for you. If you tell us to do five new things next week, we're going to give it our best. But every time you do that, we, you and I, take away some of the energy and time and talent that would have been given to the things that mattered most. So discipline one is about focusing on what's most important. And I want to be sure here that everybody's with me. We're talking about taking something you probably already are focused on and making it more important than all the rest. But we're not saying that all the other goals go away. We're talking about sustaining excellence in everything else, but picking one thing to knock out of the park. Does that make sense? Only one goal to knock out of the park. Everything else we want to sustain exactly where we are today. That's the key to discipline one. Now, now I'm going to illustrate this for you in a very personal way. Three weeks ago, I was flying home uh, from, from Phoenix, Arizona, and the guy sitting next to me had this image on his computer. 
And, and so I was shamelessly looking at his image on his computer, and I, finally I said, what in the world is that? And we're flying to Atlanta, and he says, well, that's Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. And these are all the planes. In fact, there are 47 planes landing right now at Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. Which one do you think I hoped the air traffic controller was focused on? Yes, the one I was in. In fact, this is a crazy picture. At any one moment, there are more than 200 airplanes in the airspace above Hartsfield-Jackson Airport in Atlanta. This just freaks me out. And I'll be flying home in a little while. I'll be on a plane headed back to Atlanta, Georgia. But it illustrates the idea that if I've got one plane landing now... It doesn't mean I don't have other planes in various stages, but one is the most important now. You got it? Discipline one, easy to implement. By the way, this is what this looks like when we're taking off. (laughs) Hartsfield Jackson, yes. If you've been there, you know, don't you? (laughs) You know, yeah, the old joke, you got to go through Atlanta to get anywhere else. So we're talking about discipline one. Now here's how the New Horizons team has implemented discipline one. The single most important goal in this office is to increase the five-star ratings from our patients. Is that a bad goal? No, that's a pretty good goal. (laughs) But does that mean that guy no longer cares about revenue or profitability or clinical excellence? Can we forget all that and just have happy patients? Well, of course not, right? But what we have said is we sustain excellence in those things, and this is the one they've chosen for this year. And you notice down below that all the different teams that are unified in this office driving toward this goal, right? There's one more piece of the goal that has been set by the New Horizons team, and it's part of the Four Disciplines methodology, and that is to establish a finish line. Every wildly important goal must have a finish line so that we know when we've achieved it. Does that make sense? The formula for this finish line is X to Y by when. X is where we are today, Y is where we're going, and when is the date we are accountable to get there. Now, setting goals with numbers is nothing new to all of you, and I know you understand this idea, but I just want to give you one final thought about Discipline 1. This X to Y by when is a critical component, because from the moment we set it, we will either, as an office team, win or lose. Right? There won't be any rationalization, there won't be any story, there won't be any, yeah, we missed that, but we did this. We will win or we will lose. And that, my friends, changes the way the team plays the game. So in Discipline 1, one goal is more important and it always has a finish line. Now in Discipline 2, I want to give you this fairly radical idea about the second discipline. If I said to you the most important measurements of success from your office, uh, if, if, if we tried to call them out together, what would we say? What do you think are the most important measures of success for your practice or your office? Somebody give me one. Patient satisfaction would be a great one. What's another one? Employee team satisfaction, yes, that's happiness from the inside out. Yes, of course that would be right. What else would be measurements of success? Profitability, he said like an owner. Yes, revenue, all the things that you want, growth of the office, maybe opening a second office. All of those measurements, my friends, are what we call lagging measures. Meaning, by the time you get them, you can't fix them. They're always in the past. Does that make sense? So it's like driving your car by looking only in the rearview mirror. And and there are people in Dallas, Texas who do that. I saw them last night. (laughs) All right? Ah, You wouldn't do it. Now, you need a rearview mirror, but what you want is to have your eyes forward. And the forward eyes are on leading measures. Now, let this idea go in your mind because it's a radical thought. Almost every leader of every business anywhere in the world is exclusively focused on measurements that are always in the past. And by the time you get them, by the time you know whether you made a profit in December or not, it's January. And, Janu- and December is gone, right? So that idea never brings out the highest performance in a team. But you know what does? Getting focused on the behaviors that lead to the lagging measure. Whatever those behaviors are that drive the goal, those are the ones we want to put our primary energy on, and we want to use the lag measures like a rearview mirror in a car. We want to have a reference point 
but keep our eyes squarely on the things that lead to the goal. Now, this is a fairly radical idea, but I can make it very simple for you. Every January 1st, everybody in America typically sets one goal. What's the goal? I know, me too, this year, this is the year, I'm doing it this year, yeah. So so losing weight, every January we all set this goal. Now, if I step on the scale every Saturday morning, and I don't do anything differently Monday through Friday, am I likely to have a happy outcome? No, I've tried this program, it doesn't work. I had a lot of hope for it, but it just didn't play out. Yeah, so I can can get the lag measure anytime I want it. But i got to do something different Monday through Friday if I want that number to move. Now, everybody in America has a Ph.D. in this subject. So what are one or two things you could focus on that would make that number move when you step on the scale on Saturday morning? Diet and exercise. That's right. Someday, can it please be about something other than these two things? Please. Please. So everybody in America knows this, right? Everybody in America has a Ph.D. in weight loss, and we all know that the two drivers are diet and exercise. But if everybody knows it, why isn't everybody losing weight? Well, the reason is it's not a knowing problem. It's a doing problem. And the same thing is going to be true in your office. There's not a single thing we will talk about as a lead measure that you don't already know to do, that you don't already have as something that's part of running a great practice. But what we're talking about here is something a little different. We're talking about things that would fit the definition of the Pareto principle. Is anybody familiar with the 80-20 rule? Yeah? If you think about this very long, it will make you crazy. I just finished this book that's on the bestseller list called The 80-20 Rule, coincidence. Uh, It's a great book, and it made me a total believer in this idea that's over a 1,000 years old. The idea of the Pareto Principle simply says this. 20% of what we do produces 80% of what we get. And if that goes in your mind, get ready to lay awake at night trying to figure out what is the 80% of what I'm doing that's only producing 20% of my results. Are you following? There are a few things in any office that are the actual drivers of the results we're getting. And when we can find those few things and implement them, take them to another level, we get a huge return. So in our book, we call this finding leverage. Don't just work harder, work smarter. Find the few things that have a big return and put your energy into them. Those are leading measures. And I can illustrate this for you really easily by telling you a quick story. Are are you all familiar with the Payless Shoe Organization? Payless Shoes, the inventors of the phrase BOGO, great people, great shoe company. They have 4,500 shoe stores all around the country. They're a $2 billion organization, but you may not think that as you see them in your local store. So so 4,500 shoe stores. So if you could think for a minute like a, like a corporate executive of a $2 billion company, if you had 4,500 shoe stores, what would your wildly important goal be? Sell more shoes. That's right. Way to go, you guys. Yeah, so selling more shoes was the wildly important goal. Now, how many of you have ever bought a pair of shoes? Yes, look, no guy will raise his hand when I ask. No matter where I am in the world, no guy will raise. What do you, order them online or something? What's the deal? So, so if you know what I'm talking about, you've bought a pair of shoes, would you agree with me that there are behaviors that shoe salespeople do to try to influence you to make a purchase? Is that fair? Yeah, well, give me some ideas. What are they? What do shoe salespeople do? They bring out more shoes. If you say, can I see this in a size 7? Don't they come out with 19 other pairs? Right? Just in case. I thought you'd like to see these. That's right. What else do shoe salespeople do? I heard that over there. They compliment you. Have you ever heard this? Oh, oh, those shoes. They look great on you. I don't even think we should sell them to anybody else. Those are your shoes. They were made for you, right? Right? So shoe salespeople, some people in the audience going, oh, yeah, that's why I bought those shoes. So shoe salespeople have a whole bunch of behaviors that get the rest of us to buy shoes. But there was one behavior that was a Pareto item in the Payless shoe stores. In the Payless shoe stores, they discovered that the more often they measured children's feet, the more shoes they sold. Now, can you think of why that would be? 
If I came to you and I said, uh, ma'am, I'd love to help you today, but we'd really like to measure your child's feet. You know, it's, uh, the, the feet are the foundation of a child's life. When they run or they play, we want to get this exactly right. Their bones are still growing and being shaped, and the fit of that shoe is really... Are you with me? Yeah. Is this a lost art in the shoe business? In my generation, didn't you have all your feet measured? Anybody that's in my generation, didn't this happen? You put your infant foot in that medieval torture device, and then they slammed it shut, right? Ah! You know, right? That's what happened in my generation. That's why we turned out the way we did. So the, uh, so, so the yeah, measuring, but measuring children's feet is a lost art in the shoe business. So in the shoe business, going back to measuring children's feet turned out to be an 80-20 item. And let me tell you, when they measured a few more children's feet, sales went up a lot. So they turned it into a game. Everybody had a scoreboard. Everybody kept track of how many children's feet they measured. And at the end of the year, are you ready? If I had a drum roll, I would play it. The Payless, thank you, the Payless Shoe Organization hit 200% of its sales goal. And the only thing they did differently, not the only thing, but the thing they did differently was measuring children's feet. So they found their leverage. And once they found their leverage, they built scripts for how to do it. They made sure there were measuring devices in every store. They taught everybody how to do it. And they kept track in the back room on a big scoreboard of who the measurer of the day was. And in that process, they hit 200% of their sales goal. You get the idea? So instead of everybody working harder on a whole lot of things... Discipline 2 says, go to your team and decode what makes the wig move. What makes a five-star patient satisfaction rating move? What are those behaviors? Let's put our energy into those because that's where we'll get a big return. Does that make sense? Discipline 2, a radical idea. So here's what's happening in the New Horizons team. Uh, There are lead measures for each of these teams within the office that help to drive the wig. And there won't be anything on this slide you haven't heard before, just like diet and exercise. So I asked you a question a moment ago. If everybody in America knows diet and exercise, why isn't everybody losing weight? Well, you know who is losing weight in America on February 1st, 2014? The people who can tell you exactly how many calories they ate yesterday, right? And how many calories they've burned. In other words, the people who are measuring those things are the ones that are doing them. So look at what Guy and his team are doing. In the hygiene group, every week, the team has two lead measures for driving five-star ratings. Complete care calls to 100% of patients that receive anesthesia daily and seat 90% of patients within five minutes of the scheduled start. Is there anybody that's never thought of those two ideas? You've all thought of those ideas. So what are they doing differently? They're keeping track. They're measuring on a board. Or how many, what percent of patients got seated within five minutes? And what percent of our patients got a care call? You see, things that we know to do, like diet and exercise, if they're high leverage, we put them on a scoreboard, we begin to keep track of them, and they move the WIG score, the lag measure of five-star ratings. Here's a couple of other teams, just so you get a sense. What are the marketing folks doing? Well, they're responding or commenting on at least 50% of the reviews with less than five stars. And they're capturing one review per week in a non-clinical setting. Those are the things the marketing folks are doing to move that goal. And what about the doctors? The doctors are calling all new patients within the first week of the appointment and also completing care calls to patients that received anesthesia. Does it make sense? Now, there's nothing on this screen you hadn't thought of yet, right? Except what they're doing is narrowing their focus above their day job to these few things that have leverage they believe. Now, it'll be fun to be back in six months or next year and find out how the story played itself out, but I think they're off to a great start with a great game, don't you? Look at the clarity of that. If you said to your team, here's what I'm coming home from the conference with, uh, uh, for people in the the doctor group, there are two things we're going to do differently this year. We're going to call all new patients in the first week of their appointment, and we're going to complete care calls to 100% of patients that receive anesthesia. And those are the two things we're going to do differently. Everything else is our day-to-day whirlwind. Would it feel like you could actually implement it? 
Yeah, because it's so simple, right? So if we've chosen the right things, it's just like Payless Shoes saying, let's measure more children's feet. When we find the right things, they give us leverage and they move the goal. That's discipline too, finding those behaviors. So, so in essence, lead measures are the things that people do that drive the goal. And we get our teams doing those first. And those behaviors move the lag measure, the thing that's always in the past. Whether it's five-star ratings, revenue, profitability, whatever it is, we use those behaviors to turn the big wheel of the lag measure. That's discipline two. Everybody good with discipline two? That's the idea behind it, finding what those are on your team. Okay, let's go to discipline three. But just for a minute, suppose you had a wildly important goal. Suppose you knew what the lead measures were and you ran from this room back to your office and told the whole team the great secret that you'd uncovered. Would everybody do it? Well, maybe you would say, yeah. But even those of you that would say, yeah, everybody would do it because I told them to, would they really take ownership of it? See, that's the difference with Discipline 3. Discipline 3 is about keeping a scoreboard. But guys, not just any kind of scoreboard. A scoreboard that is compelling. And I would say to you, for differentiation, a scoreboard that is built for the team, not the leader. So really quick, is this statement true? Yeah, anybody planning on watching a football game on Sunday night? Yeah. Yes, we all are pulling for one or two teams. <laughs> but what if the... <laughs> no, no, we're only pulling for one. What if, the, what if the NFL issued a decree just to keep us all interested that they were only going to light up the scoreboard once every quarter? How exciting would that be? Yes, you, you're, you don't get mad at me. I'm just making this example up. Yeah, they're not going to do that. <laughs> but what if they were? What if we didn't know the score? Well, you see, that's the difference. People will play differently if we're keeping score, but it will only happen if it's their score. So I can't speak for every uh, business leader sitting in this room, but I can sure speak for myself. I can't tell you how many times I rolled out an initiative to a whole group of people who had little or no involvement in it, and I was expecting engagement that was off the charts. And the difference in Discipline 3 is to learn that the score is not yours if you want the highest performance. The score has to belong to the team. And the easiest way to make it the teams is to let them build a scoreboard. So in, in the four disciplines of execution, we build players' scoreboards that are simple. They hang on a wall where everybody can see them. They have both the lag and the lead measures, the behaviors that are driving the goal. And in five seconds or less, anybody in the office can tell us if we're winning or losing. Now imagine that with the spreadsheets and the things that you use today to track your business. If there were a scoreboard on the wall that anybody on your team in five seconds or less could say, we are winning or we're losing, would it change the way we play? So here's a quick scoreboard just to give you this example. Now, on this scoreboard, the little red man is the performance of the team, and the dotted line with the mountain goat is the goal. Does that, can everybody see that from where you are? The little red man is the team. The dotted line with the mountain goat is the goal. Is the team winning or losing? They're losing, right? Is the performance of the team climbing sharply or starting to level off? Is the goal getting steeper or staying flat? Is the gap between the team's performance and the goal getting smaller or bigger? Is there more than halftime left in the game or less than halftime? Can I stop? Do you get the point? So you might have looked at that graph and said, I can't run a dental office on a graph like that, Jim. It's too complicated. And I would ask you only to ponder for a moment, what if everybody in your office could answer those six questions? just like that. Right? Would they play differently? And the answer is they would, because suddenly they'd be part of the game instead of being told what to do in the game. The game can ultimately become theirs, and at that point is when you get to that level of individual ownership. So I want to show you a, a few scoreboards from, from some teams, but first I'm required by law to give you a warning. 
Now, just get ready now, because business owners are often deeply disturbed when they look at scoreboards built by the teams. I don't know if you think this sign is funny, but this is a real sign. Uh, I took this photo. What state was I in when I took this photo? That's right, right? And isn't it just perfect that there's a little RV in the lower right-hand corner? Yeah, anyway, you have to be from Alabama to get that joke. So, so the scoreboards that teams will build, not the scoreboard you as the owner or the leader will build, but the scoreboard the team will build seldom looks like something that the leader would have done. So if you're emotionally and psychologically prepared, let's look at a couple. Oh, no. Oh, Greg, why did you even bring this guy today? I mean, not in my office. We're not putting up something like that in my office. We're, a, we're serious dental professionals in my office. I don't want anything like that that would communicate that we're not serious about what we do. You're having this reaction. And you know what? These people on this board, maybe they're not serious. I mean, this happens to be the surgical nursing unit of the number two ranked hospital in America. And yeah, they took it a little far. You know, they talk about wigs, wildly important goal as wigging out. And yeah, they, they, they did put wigs on the board. That was a little cheesy. But you ought to see them. 6.55, every Friday morning, this team stands in a huddle around that board. And if you ever wanted a spiritual experience watching a team in action, you ought to stand there and watch them. They look each other in the eye, and when they're winning, nobody can celebrate like a surgical nursing unit. And when they're losing, lives are being harmed. And they look each other in the eye and say, this week, our performance improves. And the leader in that circle has almost nothing to say. This team right here has gone beyond the authority of the leader. They've taken ownership of the game, and you ought to see it. And part of the key that turned that lock was that on the day they built their own board, the game became theirs. So if you're prepared, let me show you another one. Does anybody in the room know any engineers? Yeah, when you, if you know engineers and you ask them to do an arts and crafts project, aren't they the first ones to say, yes, yes, we'll do, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so not in a million years, are they? But this is what the engineers in a big office complex did. Their goal was everything in working order. And yes, when everything is in working order, they throw the switch and the green light bulb. Yes, that's true. Only the engineers. And and I'm sure they stole, I mean, uh, repurposed that copper piping from somewhere. And those pressure gauges belong on some machine. But every engineer in this plant will tell you that's our board. And there's no doubt in your mind when you see it, is there? It's not the human resources board. It's not the sales board. It's not the marketing board. That's our board board. And when a team says it's our board, they start to say, this is our score. Not your score, dentist office owner, but ours. This is our score. This is what we're doing. And that's where the game changes. So here's a couple more. Spider-Man 3. Yes, this is a team that had some artistic ability. (laughs) Uh, This happens to be in a union organization Uh, where there are very strict rules for hours worked and pay for those hours, and uh, and there's no allocation of pay for time to build a scoreboard. So for the first time in the history of the union, this team petitioned the union for for permission to work on Saturday at no pay so they could build their own board. In the history of this union, which is over 50 years, nobody has ever asked for permission to work without pay. But this team did because they wanted to have their board, a team that be- a board that belonged to them. And ladies and gentlemen, I've saved the best one for last. Get yourselves ready now, because when you think, look at this, and you think, well, Jim, that's over the top. It's just wild and crazy, and all of these scoreboards are wild and crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready to see wild and crazy, because this is what the accountants will do. <laughs> I know, I know. I was there on the day this board was presented, and the, and the financial officer said, look, the charts on the top are green, and the ones on the bottom are yellow, but the one in the middle is green and yellow. <laughs> right? So if you're an accountant, that is wild and crazy. But when you change the scoreboard to let the team build it, you have a chance of it being the team's game, most often for the first time ever. And that's a big day for all of us. So as we move past to discipline four, discipline four is the most important discipline. 
Now, we're almost finished today, so I want to be sure that you really get Discipline 4, because Discipline 1, 2, and 3 design the game, but Discipline 4 is the game. Discipline 4 is the playing of the game. And as I've mentioned already, in Discipline 4, a team of people stands in a circle every week and answers a critically important question. Every single person says, one at a time, here are the one or two things I can do this week to move our scoreboard. You get the idea of that? A whole team standing in a big circle and every one person by person by person saying, here's the one or two things I can do this week to move our scoreboard. The commitments in four disciplines are personal, not professional. And the accountability is to everybody on the team, not just to the leader of the office. Does it make sense? It's a powerful way to play the game when we're accountable to each other. So when everybody leaves that meeting, they have to force those commitments into their week. If the yellow boxes are the commitments, what does the blue represent? It's their whirlwind, right? And does anybody have a day of your week that's totally wide open? You can easily keep your commitments. Doesn't happen in our world, does it? So we have to force those commitments into our week. But when we do that, we stand in a circle again next week. And one by one by one, we say to each other, this is what I said I would do, and I did it. We look at our scoreboard together, and every single person again says, here's what I'm going to do next week to move the score. Right? So that the accountability is always personal, and it is always to each other rather than to our leader. And that's what makes the difference in the way we play the game. Now, here's a great picture of the New Horizons group standing in their circle, right? All, all reporting on their commitments and doing discipline for. Uh, uh, guy, I just have to point out, though, in the bottom left-hand corner, I think that's a box of pastries <laughs> in a dental office. I, this is funny, right? This is not right, yeah. I imagine you all eat broccoli every day. That's what you have. Yeah, yeah. But here they are in their Discipline 4 meeting, all making commitments to each other and all reporting, not just to Guy, but to each other on whether they kept their commitments or not. Discipline 4 is without question the most powerful discipline because it's what keeps us executing. So if I can, a really fast story about the Marriott Corporation. Three years they've been using the four disciplines of execution. Uh, Three years ago... They were number three in the United States, according to the American Customer Satisfaction Institute. Number three. And they were determined to be number one. Who do you think was number one three years ago? Hilton, that's right. That's right. So Hilton was number one, Marriott was number three, and they were determined, wildly important, to be the best hospitality company in America. From three years ago until this year, the people of Marriott have together made three million personal commitments, all toward the wildly important goal of guest satisfaction. And they have kept 93% of them. 93% of the time on 3 million commitments, the person said, I said I would do it, and I did it. And of course, this year, they became the number one hospitality company in America by a margin of 17 points over Hilton. A sweet success. Now, the Marriott organization is a great practitioner of the four disciplines, and and they've learned the lesson that if you find your lead measures, they will move the lag measure. But to stay in the game, we've got to make these weekly commitments, and we've got to wrap all of it in a great, oops, I went too fast, we've got to wrap all of it in a great scoreboard if we want to stay engaged in the game. Those are the four disciplines, my friends. And when you install them, you can point them toward any goal you want, And they will drive that goal. So one year your goal is revenue. The next year it's profitability. One year it's patient satisfaction. The next it's geographic expansion. It doesn't matter. This is the operating system for achieving whatever goal you'd like to achieve. And I hope some of the stories that I've told you today have made that point eminently clear. I'd like to finish, though, with one small story, and it happens to be my favorite. Uh, It's a story of a valet parking organization called Town Park. Has anybody ever heard of Town Park? Town Park are the valet parkers for all the hotels in America and almost all of the large restaurants. They're the largest valet parking company in the country. 
And the town park organization had a wildly important goal, very similar to guys in the team at New Horizons. They wanted to increase the satisfaction of their customers. So when they began on this journey, they tried all kinds of things to make us happier with valet parkers. Are you holding this image in your mind? Valet parkers. So, so they would give us a bottle of ice cold water when we picked up our car. Or they would turn on the air conditioner or the heater, depending on the season. They, or they would give us a map to the, to the location that we were headed to. They tried all kinds of things to increase our satisfaction with them as a customer. And at the end of a few months of trying lots of different things, they came to a startling conclusion that won't surprise you at all. What do you think makes us most happy with a valet parking company? Faster, right. Getting our car back faster without damaging it, right? Those two things. That's what makes, you can forget the water. Just get me my car faster and don't scrape it on the way. (laughs) So by focusing on retrieval time, the valet parking teams at at the town park organization began to get faster and faster and faster And every time they got a little faster, customer satisfaction went up a lot. So a small movement in retrieval time would yield a great increase in customer sat. And throughout this whole year, they were having an award-winning year. And in fact, they were doubling the size of the corporation as customer satisfaction went up. But there was one team that was leading the whole country. The team that was the best out of all of Town Park in the United States was the team at the Lowe's Hotel in Miami Beach, Florida. Have you ever stayed at the Lowe's Hotel? Anybody ever been there? It's a fantastic place. Built in 1946, uh, the scene of a lot of great movies is the Lowe's Hotel. So the number one team in the country was the Lowe's Hotel team in Miami Beach, Florida. And every month of their existence in that year, they had been getting faster and faster. They'd been, they'd been staging the way they parked the cars, and they'd been incenting us to call ahead to have our car brought around. They'd been doing all kinds of things to make retrieval time go down. And every time retrieval time went down, our customer satisfaction for the Lowe's hotel team went up faster than anybody else in the United States until the day it stopped. And on the day it stopped, the retrieval time would not move anymore. No matter what they did, they couldn't get any faster. And the customer satisfaction began to level off and even decline a little bit. Now, you might be wondering, well, what what did they stop doing that they were doing? Well, it wasn't the problem with the team. What happened at the Lowe's Hotel team was that in 1946, when the parking garage was built, some genius engineer put a four-foot-high concrete wall down the middle of the parking deck. She's probably a Georgia Tech graduate. Yeah. So it was genius, you know. I don't know. Why would you have a four-foot-high concrete wall down the middle of a parking deck? I don't know. But in 1946, somebody thought that was a great idea. And so now, for the Lowe's Hotel team, every time they retrieved our car, they had to literally go around the wall in order to bring it to us. So literally and figuratively, the Lowe's Hotel team had hit a wall. And they asked us to come down as a consulting team from Franklin Covey around 4DX to help them because the 4DX process that had yielded so much result had just stopped working and they didn't know what they could do. So one of our consultants went down, actually stood in their weekly circle with them, and reported back to us that it was one of the most interesting and unusual circles he'd ever stood in. Because when he started, this team that had for six months been the champions of the country had lost all of their moxie. In fact, he said everybody in the team was just standing, looking down at the ground. And nobody was making any commitments because they didn't know what to commit to that would make any difference. And as a true story, after a few minutes of silence, one young man, 22 years old, broke the silence by saying, my dad works at a construction company and he uses a concrete saw. The young lady standing next to him said, you know, my brother has a truck. In fact, it's a big truck. And somebody, probably the supervisor, the next person in line said, I know the engineer in this hotel, and I'll check to see if it's a load-bearing wall. 
And you know where this story's going, right? So on a Saturday morning, as the sun rose over the Lowe's Hotel in Miami Beach, Florida, 23 valet parking attendants gathered. And by the time the sun set, two and a half tons of concrete had been cut and hauled away. And the wall was gone. A remarkable story. And and in every way, a factual and truthful story from the Lowe's Hotel. Now, now as I tell you that story, I ask you to ponder this thought as a closing one for the four disciplines. Why would they do it? Why would a team of valet parkers work all day long on a Saturday, cutting and hauling away concrete? And can you imagine if the CEO of Town Park had tried to take a stroke-of-the-pen approach to this project? Can you imagine, as a business leader, the CEO of Town Park writing an email, you know, dear, beloved uh, town, Lowe's Hotel team, thanks for all you do. You guys are the greatest. Please join us on Saturday morning for a high-risk activity and back-breaking work for which you will receive no pay. Have a blast. Love, CEO. Can you imagine? Would that have worked? You don't even want to say out loud what the response of 23 valet parking attendants would have been to that email. But it would all have been some colorful version of no, (laughs) right? But without an email, in fact, without any leader at all telling the team to do anything at all, a team itself says, that wall is coming down. And somehow, someway, without injury... Two and a half tons of concrete are cut and hauled away on a Saturday. And when that team came in on Monday morning, guess what started happening to retrieval time? Started improving. And they once again became the number one team in the country. And they won for the year. And the Town Park organization doubled in size from a $200 million business to a $400 million business. So what do I have to offer you as a close for the four disciplines? All my life, I wanted to be a leader whose teams would tear down a wall to win. And I don't know if I ever really got there. But what I've learned through the four disciplines is that everybody wants to win. If you think about the best times in your professional life, they were times when you were winning. And if we can, as business leaders, tap into that desire to win, we do something that's remarkable for the teams we lead. And I can prove that to you with a final question. Uh, How many of us in this room are where we are today because at some point somebody believed in us? Who would say yes to that question? That's right. And so would I. And, And when I think about that question, I see the faces of the people who for some reason, saw something in me, believed in me, took time with me, and even challenged me. I don't know what they saw or why they saw it, but I know this. Take any one of them out of my life story, and I am not standing here today in front of a room full of extraordinary people. I didn't get here by myself. So the question for me, and if I may say the question I like to leave you with, is not only what are you going to achieve in 2014, but who are you going to take with you? You should meet the valet parking team at the Lowe's Hotel because those people walk with a swagger. And they earned it. And no matter where they go in their life, no matter what they do, no matter who they are with, they will always know they were part of a team that took down a wall. And so in my life, I have a lot of friends that are all retired CEOs from the time when I was one of them. And and, and they'll often call me on a Friday and they'll say, we're going to Augusta to play golf. Come on and go with us, you know. And I got a call like that yesterday. Now, if you're a golfer and I say Augusta and I imply to you that I said no, you are not thinking very much of me right now. But I got one of these calls yesterday. Come on, Jim, go with you. Come on. I said, I can't because I'm going to be in Dallas, Texas. 
with the people of Crown Council. Yeah. Thank you. And, and can you just be compassionate with them? They said to me, what? <laughs> what? We're going to, this is Augusta, man. We're going to play golf, which really means they're going to drink beer all day and occasionally find a golf ball somewhere in the rough, right? right? But, but, but still, they cannot believe it. Really? Is that what you want to do? And I say to them, you have no idea. Because I get to stand in front of some of the most extraordinary leaders in the world, and it's a privilege. And I am having a privilege right now, standing in front of you. And I get to feel like, in some small way, if I just showed you a way to take a chaotic world and make it simple with focus. A way to not just say, work harder, but show people how to be smarter. A way to get a team engaged in a game that can be theirs, not yours, through a great scoreboard. And a way to make sure that we do it instead of just talking about it through discipline four. If I showed you that today, then I might have made a little difference in the world. You go home with that, and you become that leader who made a difference. I predict for all of you that take these disciplines home, and especially for my friends at New Horizon, you use them in the way that we've shown you, you will not only hit that goal but you'll show people that they are winners and they can be winners. And that becomes the legacy you cannot measure. The legacy where they'll see you in the mall five years from now and they will say, guy, you don't remember me probably, but I worked for you in the year we did the four disciplines. And I today run my own business because of what I learned. Or you'll be sitting at a restaurant and they'll come over to you and they'll say, kids, honey, this is Joe. This is the guy I'm always talking about. And someday, the people who work for you will sit in a classroom with a grizzled old guy like me talking about the four disciplines. And I'll ask them, are you here today because somebody made a difference for you? And they'll say, yeah. And the person they'll be thinking of will be you. And that's why I'm standing in Dallas, Texas today, teaching the four disciplines, and it's been a privilege. Thank you. Thank you.